This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, February 4th, 2021, and my guest is no other than the awesome Narav Gondiav XDA. Hi, Narav. How are you? Hello, darling. I am fabulous. It's almost the end of the week. It is. I always record my show towards the end of the week, so it's no surprise, but... You know, there is, it's not been a very busy week and there's a bunch of interesting, like really like eye-opening news items we want to talk about. But I think I want to talk about Apple a little bit to start because there's a couple of items that keep getting bumped every show that are, I think, pretty newsworthy. There's been a lot of leaks and rumors on new MacBooks coming up with new M chips, like ultra-thin MacBook Air, MacBook Pro 16 that would be super fast with no touch bar and an SD card slot and a MagSafe connector. So what is your take as a meta overview of this, of these leaks and rumors and items? So, okay, there's there's two parts to it and actually both ultimately come down to the M1 and Apple's M series chips. The first part is obviously, you know, I've got an MacBook, an M1 MacBook Air, and I actually prefer using that, even though it's the base model with eight gigs of RAM, 256 yeah. gigs of uh, storage. I prefer using that a lot more than my 16 inch MacBook Pro, which is like, I have 64 gigs of RAM and two terabytes of storage. It's bizarre just how nice the M1 makes it feel. Yeah. But also that in itself isn't a good pro laptop. And I think when you look at, let, let's take like the MacBook Pro. I think Apple is trying to build, go back to what made the MacBook Pro popular in the first place. Right. Stop take giving people stuff they don't want and actually giving them possibly what they do, which is the head, which is the SD card slot. That would be a game changer. How, I mean, I think we all like have been to a trade show and been like, oh, yeah, great. I don't have a USB-C card reader. Now right. I've got to go find one. Mm-hmm. That solves the pro perspective. But then if you look at what they've done with the first M1, the processor component is going to be super interesting to see and kind of understand how far can they push this? Yeah, I mean, I think they can push it very far. There's no doubt. Like, I have no doubt, you know, Tim Cook was very clear at WWDC, you know, here are the dev kits for the developers. We're launching ARM-based Macs or Apple Silicon-based Macs. By the end of 2020, they did. And they did with a trio of really great machines. And, you know, they said it's a two-year transition. Now the steamroller is rolling down the hill and nothing can stop it. And if you think that the Intel world got scared back in November with the M1. Wait till what happens with the M1X or the M2 or the M10 or whatever is going to be called next. I have no doubt on the performance side, it's going to kick ass. I'm more interested in these rumors we're hearing around MagSafe making a comeback, SD card, as you mentioned. Uh, I hope it's not micro SD because that's completely useless. Please give us a real SD card slot, (laughs) right? I don't know if they'd go back to USB-A. I kind of hope they don't. But I do want to see, you know, at least three or four on each side 
uh, charge compatible USB type C ports plus a MagSafe port. That is whatever their new MagSafe format will be, but you can still charge via USB-C. That's what I want to see. What I want to see is the same USB-C charger they have now with a USB-C plug on it and a cable that has MagSafe on one end, right? So that now you can, you can still use that charger with a normal C to C cord to charge something else. You can still charge your MacBook with a normal C to C cord because it still has USB-C ports and Thunderbolt ports that support charging. But of course you want to use a MagSafe if you want to have that safety net of not, you know, hitting your computer cord and throwing your computer to the ground. So to me, that's super exciting. The SD card, nice. I can live without it. I always have a way to transfer from SD card back to my computer. I'm not too worried about that. But for a Pro machine, I think it's necessary. But the lack of touch bar has me so excited, Narav. I hate the touch bar with a passion. I have an M1 MacBook Air right now, right here, I'm recording on it. And I'm so glad it doesn't have the touch bar. You know what, the, the thing about the touch bar. So, okay, first MagSafe. Yeah, 100%, I agree. Um, I want to see them effectively build, you know, you can go on Amazon and buy, get re they're really cheap and really crap. For lack of any other way to put They're it. They're crap. That's the problem. No, that's why nobody uses them. Like I wanted to get one for Theo's MacBook, but at the same time, they're not reliable. So imagine that concept made by Apple. Right. Is the, is the, is the win. Is the, okay, this is what it needs to do. And knowing Apple, it'll be like, this is a MagSafe compatible, or this is MagSafe approved or something like that. They'll have a certification just for that component. But it's genius because think about it. I can see if you think about the way MagSafe works and imagine if if it is two pieces, you know, like like those concepts on Amazon. What if what happens the day that Apple decides, OK, we're going to get rid of the lightning port from our phones. Right. Just tangent for a second. But because that connector can probably do more than just charge if, you know, going hypothetical. They could always include that as a form of uh, a way of charging on phones, example, or on other laptops, on tablets, all of these different components that I think makes this really interesting. Going to the second part of what you know what you said, I really don't I hope they stay on USB C. I mean it's USB four at this point, which is USB C connector it also combines thunderbolt 3 we've seen this on the m1 i think we're gonna see this on the new whatever they are m chips right yeah this will definitely like there's no point not including you know not including the stuff that actually USB A. it just isn't worth it we've all got USB C cables now right i think that's not a big deal anymore like in an ideal world i would still love to see one USB A port somewhere like you have one USB A three USB Type-C, MagSafe, and SD card, and a headphone jack. I hope they don't get rid of the headphone jack. 100% read the headphone jack. But going back to the touch bar, uh -huh. you know the biggest problem with the touch bar is the fact it's touch. <laughs> yes. Do you know the way that, the way, like, I actually like the concept of being able to change buttons and the relevance of buttons depending on the app you're in. So imagine, I'm going to go complete, you know, wish list here. But imagine that row is all physical keys or they, they're separated like physical keys. So 
think about the name touch bar, you want to be able to do it without having to look at it. Yeah. And then haptics. The fun exactly the function. So each is like its own physical individual key, but the function of those keys changes just like touch bar does based on the app you're in. Yeah. I would be much happier with that, but I still would prefer to see what we saw a decade ago with that Russian company where the key cap there's physically scissor keys and they're transparent and each of them have a display in it. And each that, key exactly can be it. reconfigured. Like I don't want this flat display with no I don't even want haptics. I want a physical key that I can touch with my hand without looking. And if it reconfigures for the app because it this has a different label, awesome. That would be acceptable. But touch bar as we know it today, no. And and I kind of hope, you know, for simplicity and cost, cost being not a big issue on the MacBook Pro, but on future cheaper MacBook Airs and MacBooks, if they ever make a, a small MacBook again, is going to be critical to, I think, keep it down. So I think for me, don't mess with that. Like, I would much rather have Apple spend the money on the R&D to add touch to macOS. Yes. You know? Like, add touch to macOS before you spend any more money on a touch bar. Because, look, I don't think you should ever have to use Windows 10 on a tablet with no keyboard and trackpad it's terrible it's still not a great experience but in the same with chrome but i feel that it's a hybrid experience for me when i use a windows 10 laptop or i use a chromebook that has a touch screen i just sometimes scroll by flicking the screen like basic actions i, I don't actually do minute little pecking of interface buttons i do just basic stuff and there's a level, I think it's like you give a computer to a kid today and they expect the screen to have touch somehow, right? Like, I think that's kind of where Apple needs to go, even though it's not perfect. And I think that's the problem with Apple. They won't do it until they can do it perfect. But I think there is no perfect way of doing a desktop OS with touch. You can't. So here's the thing. I I actually think if you... the Apple's biggest long-term problem is not in the Mac. Like what they need to do across all of their product, right? You know, we, we know that they're trying to bring this essentially to a single unified platform with forks of, you know, a common code base is the best way to put it, yeah? Yeah. But their biggest issue is, and this is where I think Microsoft has a chance and a few, like, and somewhat Samsung, because I've got this, is in that tablet size space. Yeah. Their approach to touch tablets has been, let's take the mobile version and try and expand on it. Mm -hmm. But I think they need, they really need to build the touch version of Mac OS. And actually, if you think about some of the components, like the way the desktop bar is based and, um, you know, how Launchpad and things like that, it already exists. And even the... Um, you know, the menu bar at the top could be made in a much more touch-friendly way. And if they were to build that, the iPad and small laptops, I don't think you're going to need touch on a 16-inch MacBook Pro. I just don't think it's honestly necessary. Right. Unless you want to support a pencil like the Apple Pencil and fine, minute scrolling and certain things like that. But in the smaller laptop space and the ipad kind of place 
you want to see honestly just see a merger of those like they may not even need to have a macbook air in this in the sense of if they could have a version of the ipad that was just incredible and powered by yeah an i don't agree with you as a mac user see i i think that there's a different way of work there's different workflow for ipad and a different workflow for mac os and i think that I agree that iPad should become a little more desktop-like, and it has. And I, uh, what we want to see is macOS become a little more touch-like, and it should. But there are very distinct user experiences and should remain that way. And prices should be available in both in the high and low end. So I think we should have a cheap $250 iPad. We should also have an iPad Pro that costs $1,000. Fine. But it also should have 999 MacBook Airs or 799 MacBook Airs. And we should have... $3,000 MacBook Pros. I think that is fine. I'm just asking for a touchscreen with basic interaction supported, not as the main mode. Plus, it's it's so common to see a screen today that supports touch that in terms of cost, right, like for Apple to add touch to an existing Mac would be way cheaper than implementing this crazy touch bar with its own custom display and its own, well, now it doesn't have a custom control anymore, but on Intel Macs, it had the M, whatever, that chip, right, that can control the thing. I think that you don't need all of that. You just need a touch layer on the Mac and then add a few little features to tweak the user experience so that you can use it. Most people are still going to use a trackpad, but every now and then you might just reach up and just swipe up to scroll or something or you know touch yes or no on a big button that says yes or no you know like you can actually see it right now like the the dialogues on big sur when you have like a confirmation would you like to save this file yes no it looks touch friendly like you know what i'm saying like it's big enough that you yeah. could just touch so i'm that's kind of what i'm thinking i'm not suggesting so, let me ask you a question yeah where the, the reason i Put up the iPad concept is because I think Apple to really bring kind of like the my main take around the M series is I actually think this is Apple's chance to to go beyond just I'm a Mac user and only a Mac user and actually start to to bring a lot of Windows users across to Mac OS that is much more friendly, but. One of the most popular devices in the Windows ecosystem is this convertible yeah. laptop format. Yeah. Now, so so that's where that's where the question is like that's who touch is super important for. That's right. that kind of core component. So is Apple gonna go after that with the iPad or are they gonna go after it with a Mac? And the reason is I don't think they'll do both. I'm I'm not sure if they will. I think that the one thing you're talking about already exists. It's called the iPad Pro. The iPad Pro with an external keyboard, you buy the Logitech or the Bridge keyboard, and you have like that two-in-one folding experience. Apple doesn't want to do that because they have the fabric keyboard, whatever they want to call it, right? The magic keyboard. But I think that that is already addressed. That that e-commerce system exists. If you're coming from a PC convertible world, that is good for you. But those of us who are clinging to the Mac so hardcore is because it is a full-on desktop OS with a command line. We can run scripts. We can go down, code in C directly. I can type a command and start writing C code right into, you know, from scratch. It is, it's something that Linux offers. It's something that even Windows offers now because Windows has the Linux components built in now for compiling, you know, like that's what we're looking for. We're old school users. We have that experience 90 percent of the world doesn't need that that's why the ipad exists 
Yeah, okay, that's a fair point. I mean, from my perspective, you're like, you want the desktop platform. Absolutely. In the Windows world, it's a much more blurry thing, right? Because there's no iPad. There's no Android tablet that's any good. So basically, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some very nice Android tablets from uh, from Samsung. <laughs> I'm just meaning that generally the iPad just walks all over them. We all know that. Even us Android users all know that. So to me, it's like going back to the Mac through these rumors. I think Apple last year really showed that it cared about the Mac again. And for those of us who are hardcore Mac users, that was a huge deal. Like the last few yeah. years with the touch bar and the, the bad thermals and the lack of ports and all the issues, like the scissor keys. And that horrible keyboard. Yeah, whatever it was called, uh, not scissors, uh, butterfly keyboard, all that stuff. That was not caring for the Mac users. Like the Mac user are a special breed. And if you look at the numbers, Apple still makes a lot of money on the Mac. And if you look at education, I think if you look at universities and students when they go to college for the first time, it's very rare that their curriculum recommends an iPad. They recommend a Windows box or a Mac. And there's a reason yep. for that. They want a full desktop experience available to their students. And I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm not saying you couldn't teach uh, university students with just an iPad or an Android tablet. I believe you could. But I'm just saying that there is a reason this exists, and I'm really glad that Apple is doubling down on making the Mac important again and, you know, continuing to deliver that experience to those of us who want and need it. Like, if the Mac died tomorrow, I would be the end of the world. I'd go to Windows 10, I'd install all the Linux tools on it, and I'd live. Would I be happy? Probably not as much. Frankly, it's still a better experience on Mac OS. But it's not impossible. It's just that I think Apple knows they have something special. And for a while they forgot because they were so focused on iPhone, Apple Watch, and iPad. And now they're kind of like, honestly, I think they were waiting to have the ARM silicon. They were waiting for having their own silicon that was good enough to slay Intel that they could finally say, okay, let's crank the knob up to 11 on, on the Mac. And now we're going to see the knob cranked up to 11 for the next two, three years. And it's going to be glorious, Nirav. It's going to be, we're going to see... Mac towers that are half the size of the current Mac Pro that are like 10 times faster. And people are going to lose their freaking minds. I think the gamers on the PC world are going to lose their freaking minds very soon. And I'm not saying that gaming is going to switch over <laughs> to the Mac. <laughs> Slim chance. But then again, you never know. I mean, listen, think about if you... The iPad has... Okay, I'm not talking about hardcore gaming here at all. I'm just talking about average Casual. gaming. Yeah, yeah. Casual yeah. gaming. The iPad has a fair few get good games. The iPhone has a ton more. There is definitely a path at some point in Apple's future where this common code base across its its devices where, you know, I forget the name of it, but I noticed that since I've been using the M1 a lot more, my MacBook Air, yeah, there's certain apps that are definitely not made for, you know, made for Mac that are, that have kind of been, Port it over. I forget the terminology that Apple uses to describe it, but you know what I mean. Where Emulation, they... Rosetta, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the Rosetta apps, that's a good example of wow, Apple's actually going to be able to do some interesting things here. My fate, my the thing I'm most excited about is who are the if I could ask you, name the two most stubborn companies in the world. Most people would probably say Apple and Google are two of them. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. We all know that Chrome on Mac is hell on battery life, on resources, everything. And it's funny 
that I can take the, and I've done this test, the exact same 25 tabs and have them open on both my, my uh, 16 inch MacBook Pro with 64 gigs of RAM and my MacBook Air M1 with eight gigs of RAM. But like, you know, it's, it's not even the exact same processor and stuff like that. And yeah. the M1 handles it better because Apple got Google to build an optimized version. I'll tell you this. I have this M1 MacBook Air right now. And I have a, my fastest Mac that I owned before that was a three-year-old Intel Core i5 iMac. And this thing just slaughters my three-year-old Intel iMac every day for everything, even on emulated apps. And it doesn't even get warm. For the things I do, like this thing is a, it's a game changer. It is, it is like, I don't even want to use my iMac anymore. I'm at the point where I'm thinking of buying a new iMac the moment they announce the M, the M-based iMac. And you're going to say buy a Mac mini. Yeah, the problem is I need a nice monitor and I don't have a really nice monitor right now. So I'd probably want to get it with integrated 5K. And the Mac mini doesn't go up in spec enough. Look, I love the idea of this integrated um, you know, this, this inter how the RAM is integrated in terms of your ability to use, you know, the RAM and GPU kind of share. I forget the way Apple describes it and don't really care how they describe it, to be honest. But yeah. all of this only goes up to 16 gigs. My best guess is that in the, in the new MacBook Pro, in the new iMacs, in the stuff that's made for the professionals, because nothing that's based on M1 has been made for pro users it's all for the average user the minute they go into that pro user where all of a sudden we're able to get one of these devices with 60 can you imagine what you could do with 64 gigs of ram and an m1 processor? i know but that's the thing i think you have to understand like you and i have the, the base 8 gig i've got a 512 version because i need more storage but from everybody i've talked to especially people who are coders who are developers like i used to be the way memory is managed by Mac OS on ARM on you know on the on the silicon on Apple Silicon is so much more efficient in terms of memory management than on Intel Macs by the very nature of how the instruction set works that you really are getting a 16 gig Mac with an 8 gig M1 device. So you're going to say the power users still want to get the 16 gig M1 version. So it's kind of doubling. It feels like a 32 gig Mac. I get that. I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. I think it will with the iMac and the Mac Pro, as you said, and the MacBook Pro too. But here's the thing. I've lived with eight gigs of RAM on Intel Macs for years without any issues. Now, I don't edit 4K video or anything. Like I'm not a power user for that. I had, My video editing is 1080p, right? No big deal. But I think that eight gigs is too little for Intel. You know, if I bought a new Intel Mac today, it'd be a 16 gig. But on M1, I'm happy with 8 gig. There's no, I've never maxed it out. I've tried, I've run everything, like 40 tabs. I'm not maxing it out. I, neither am I. But can I tell you something? Why, you know why I still have a, my 16 gig MacBook Pro connected to these two 4K displays? Because they're connected to two 4K displays. Right, right. And the minute, and I can tell you that the minute I undock this, and I reckon it will, will be the same because of the variety of 4K screens on the market, yeah? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to spend, I'm never going to spend 
1500 two grand on extra screens on you know for on apple branded ones just for this extra bit of performance and stuff like that this thing is like two different computers the minute you plug in this many this have it ask it to power two 4k screens at once it struggles yeah and whilst i think the m1x or m2 whatever you know whenever i'm never going to be able to switch this one out until that is available mm-hmm. but even though that will be available at some point and some point soon my area of concern is yeah what happens when you decide to power two of these 4k monitors or you know quick shout out matt swider <laughs> i i've seen his office he has six 1080p monitors each 24 inches you know if you wanted that with all 2k monitors we're getting into a point where it's got to be able you've got to still support that level because we've never tested what you know what point do you actually you know everyone with an intel one will tell you you're probably going to need at least 32 gigs of ram to be able to run all of that yeah but what does that need on the uh on the m1 side you know I agree with that for external monitors this is going to be an issue. I'm just saying that for most users, the 8 gig on M1 is fine. 16 gig if you're a power user. And yeah, agreed. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the benchmarks look like on these new machines when we get them. But I'm more excited about, you know, the portability aspects, like the fact that they're thinking of making a MacBook Air that's even thinner. And here's another thing I want to quickly talk about before we switch to the next topic. And that's the MagSafe, we're all assuming it's going to be a MagSafe like we are used to on the Mac, but <laughs> I think it's going to be the same MagSafe like puck as the phone, and it's going to it's going to mount, it's going to magnetically oh. connect to the back of the screen. I'm calling it now. Oh, or or imagine this. Think about the bottom of the MacBook. You know, if they're making something very thin. This thing's going to be a bit, you know, this is going to be a, I think this is just going to be an issue. So if you go, look, if you go at the back of the screen and someone kicks the cable, that's going to force the screen back, at which point the machine might topple over. You remember how the MagSafe used to shear a certain way, but not the other? They can design that with the right magnets. But I'm thinking, imagine if it became a universal thing where they can do faster wireless charging through the MagSafe with this next generation. So really what it is, is the MacBook is wirelessly charged through a MagSafe connector and it's it's a high power, high speed thing and it's backwards compatible with the iPhone. And next year with the iPhone 13, they remove lightning and they announce that it's like 30 watt charging via wireless like Huawei and Xiaomi do. I can see this, that, that would be brilliant, honestly. And that would be the future of, that's enough to get a lot of people to turn around and go, wait, my laptop charges wirelessly what yeah and then they keep the usb-c for if you want to use wired charging and and in terms of like you know it's sticking i've never used the MagSafe on the phone so i don't i don't know how it works but i don't think the magnet's super strong i think the base defines how strong the magnet is so here's what i think could happen apple could create a puck that has electronics in it since it's always getting power right because it's it's charging. The puck has accelerometers in it and it has electromagnets instead of permanent magnets. And so it's when it's energized, it magnetizes to your MacBook. And as moment there is shock, it turns off the electromagnets and boom, the thing just falls off. So that's, G- that's clever. Oh, this is an interesting concept because 
we've seen this before. Think about it. How many, you know, you and I have been to China a hundred times and it's always like, oh, and the puck, the charging brick and the cable and the phone all talk to each other. And yes, for a lot of companies, you know, a lot of companies do have this back and forth. But if you do build it with like real technology in mind and yeah. like, okay, let's make these calculations all the time. I think it will be pretty interesting. I've used the MagSafe. I don't use it all the time. I actually prefer, I found that the magnets with the phone just aren't strong enough. And, uh, you know, far too often it'll be on my bed. Right. And I'll wake up in the morning and I've just knocked it off by accident. Or it's in my phone and it's... You the... knocked it off. See, that's why I think that as exists today, if they could do the wireless charging faster through the MagSafe, it would detach just fine. Also, remember, the detaching was so that the cord that's plugged into the side of the computer doesn't bend, right? If it's yeah. a puck in the back of the display, it doesn't matter. Like, I've dropped enough MacBooks nowadays... I know that unless you drop them on concrete and then it gets scuffed up, trust me, you, you will not break them dropping them from a normal three-foot height. There is no way you're going to break a MacBook. Falling on carpet or on wood floors, no way. They do not break, okay? They're well-made. My, my, my thought here is, like, I agree it definitely makes a lot of sense for them to try and do that. That, that would be, honestly, brilliant. I think they would need... Like, if you went to the back of the display, so here's, here's the thing. If you go to the back of the display, I, I'm still more convinced that they should make a much larger puck and do it at the bottom of the, of the computer. Because if you, if you go at the bottom and you still make it so, you know, the magnets aren't super strong or it's the electromagnets or it's done in a way that it will detach easily, this itself can almost become like a one-inch stand that the phone that laptop sits the on. the other thing you have to remember nirav is we're not saying there's only a single spot on the computer where you can attach it so what uh... if there's a magsafe magnet on the bottom left corner of the display so right now look at your mac in front of you look at the bottom left corner of the display, by the hinge in the where you can just reach it not the middle of the screen like just the corner of the bottom of the screen same on the right hand side so you can charge on left or the right and now same on the below you could do it below the trackpad or below both sides of the trackpad, like where the wrist okay. rests are. Like, yeah, I see because it. that way you don't have to worry about it. You just, you throw your laptop on your bed and the thing will slap to the closest like location. You know what I'm saying? You throw it, you basically throw the MagSafe puck at your computer and it just goes clunk and it picks the right spot. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen. Right, I really bloody hope they do this in, or it comes out in that kind of fashion. Definitely, the Mac is way more interesting now. Like, I think that the Mac, if we knew the way we knew it, I think this doesn't make sense to me right now. I think that the reason they used the word Mac safe for the phone this year is they recycled that word specifically because I think they have an ulterior motive here. And who knows? We might see a puck in the future that also lets you charge the Apple Watch. Like, it's got a smaller set of magnets in the middle. So it's MagSafe is now air power, effectively. Essentially. And so I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the Nob touch bar, the SD card slot, the, the MagSafe, whichever way they do it, the fast new chips, and of course, more ports, all that stuff, more RAM. Also, it's nice to see the MacBook Pro become Pro compared to just being a bigger, more powerful version yeah. of the Air. Yeah. They yeah. need to bifurcate those to really make that difference and go, this here is why you buy an Air. Yeah. Here's why you buy a Pro. 
Yeah, and I, and I feel like, you know, the fact that we spent money on our own airs right now recently is kind of a bummer because we're going to probably be very disappointed when we see the next gen air it comes out like in the fall or something we're gonna be like damn it you know we should have waited another year Look for 800 900 dollars yeah this is the the price of this is i'm already like yeah sure i'll just go and buy this i'll throw it on my apple card yeah Done. exactly it, it's such a like for us on I, okay this is a slight tangent but for me at least a lot of sub thousand dollar purchases are often more whim based. You know, like I'll I'll buy a new, I'll buy an iPad, or I'll buy this, or I'll buy that. And this MacBook is is so was was cheap enough that I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, it's almost like that, especially when you know you can justify it as a business expense in our case, right? Because we run our own businesses. Exactly. And eventually you can sell it and you haven't lost more than a few hundred dollars, but the value you've derived of it is worth it. And that's the beauty of Apple is the products stay keep their value so well. So speaking of Apple products, let's switch to the next one. I want to touch back on this because, of course, we've talked about the AirPod Max on the show, but it was all very theoretical. I've had people on the show that had reviewed it, but... I have finally spent, like I bought a pair, uh, I think a day or two after it was announced and I got it shipped on uh, January 6th. It arrived on my birthday, I think January 8th. And then I've used it for 10 days and I returned it. And I wasn't planning on keeping it to be clear, but I'm glad I returned it because ultimately, you know, I'm going to read the tweet here that I'm going to put in the show notes that my mini review in one tweet, I wrote after many, many hours of critical listening and comparing Apple's AirPods Max with Sony's WH-1000XM4, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind, Sony wins. Far better sound when properly EQ'd with Sony's app, much more comfortable, far more affordable, and a match for ANC. And I would like to add to that, and I did it separately on a comment below, better battery life on the Sony's as well. So look, the AirPod Max are really great first effort. They sound really good out of the box. Notice that I said to say that the Sony's, I have to EQ them properly. The thing about the Sony's, which is great, is that you can EQ them in the app and the headphones keep the EQ inside the headphone. And it doesn't matter what app you use, what phone you pair, what you know, what you use, whether you use LDAC or AAC or whatever codec, whatever transmission you use for your music, that EQ stays. So basically you EQ them the right way once and you're done. And so I want people to understand that I don't like EQing. The Sony's are too bass heavy by default for my liking as an audiophile. However, they're easy to EQ and when you do, they sound fantastic. I think they sound better than Apple's. Even if you were able to EQ Apple's, they have better imaging, better, better soundstage. But Apple's are very good for effort. The materials are phenomenal. They're too heavy though. And they're uncomfortable for long periods of time. Like I'm talking about four hours, five, and I'm talking about for an hour, you're fine. The Sony's I can wear for an entire flight and be fine. These I don't think I could wear for a flight. Plus, they're not very travel friendly because they don't collapse, and there's no the case is a joke. And finally, ANC is really good, but Sony's EMC is also really good. So ultimately, for half the price, you get yes, they're plastic, but you get uh, just a better product. So if you're thinking of buying AirPods Max, if you invest in the Mac ecosystem, the Apple ecosystem, the iPhone, iPad ecosystem, consider them for sure because the switching between stuff is seamless. But I don't think you should bother. I think you should buy Sony's and they do the switching as well pretty well and you'll be happier and it's money better spent. That's my, that's my takeaway. 
So I, I have a very simple, I've not tried the AirPods Max at all. And I had ordered a pair, but I'll be honest, not massively interested. And I'll tell you why. Sony's XM4, which I'm using right now, and I love, and I've been using the XM2, then the XM3, and now the XM4 yeah, same here. have all been my choice of headphones for when I fly. Because the ANC will block out anything virtually, and they're comfortable. Yeah. So Sony's headphones are made for sound, is my takeaway. And for travel. I think Apple's are not made for travel. And for travel and for user experience. Yeah. Apple's headphones are made for style. Correct. Sony's headphones are made for function. Apple's headphones are made for form. They're made to be a statement piece, not an audio piece. And not that they've done it me wrong. I'm sure they've got decent audio, like you say, you know, and they're good for average people who don't really want to get involved, like really get stuck in, or they're just all things Apple. But all things Apple have generally always been a, a statement piece at first. Over a period of time, it will be interesting to see what happens. But, you know, and Beats did get a bit better over, you know, definitely got better over its over the course of its time with Apple. So they, they have some pedigree there, but they're definitely not competing. And then they're, they're not like, oh, my to me, it's not like, oh, my God, this is a slam dunk. I should buy these. Plus, they're super expensive. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's like that's why it's like about it's a statement piece more than anything. Yeah. And I think. I was hoping they would not lean as much on that as they did. Like basically they, we looked at this when we saw it, all of us journalists who have experience with Apple and the industry and use other products. And we all thought, ah, this is a bit of a fashion play. And the reason I bought them and with the intent of returning them is because I thought that I'd be vindicated in that thought. And I was, however, I was hoping that there was a little more and don't get me wrong. The sound quality on these is really, really good, but it's not, as good as what you can tweak the Sony's to sound like. And when you add the battery life, the comfort, the equally good AMC, I have to say, Apple nailed the AMC pretty impressively. And the transparency mode on the Apple is better than transparent mode on any device I've ever used. Like, I swear to you, Nara, if you turn transparency mode and it feels like, other than the weight, it feels like the headphones have gone, vanished. It is so clear and perfect and it's kind of hard to ignore. I mean, I never use transparency mode myself much, but having that option is really impressive. And the controls are really nice, having a, a real knob for volume, all that stuff. But the reality is, for me, they have to be travel friendly and they have to sound tops, especially when I'm spending that kind of money. And and then there's the insult to injury. I can that stupid case is it does not really is is one of the problems, but it's not they're not really meant for travel, so I can look past that. But then there's these, the, the biggest insult of the Malnarav. You know where I'm going? Lightning port. Are you kidding me, <laughs> Apple? You put a USB type C port on the oh, latest Beats. Dear. The Beats have USB type C and you're putting the best headphones you've ever made by a long shot. You're putting lightning on? <laughs> the, I'm sure their assumption is, oh, well, everyone's got AirPods Pro, might be interested in the AirPods max i forgot if they said pro max or no it's just max it's just max and that that should mean that we should use the same thing for continuity it's a joke it's no different to i remember 
if I'm not mistaken, some of the earlier Jabra headphones mm-hmm. and some of the earlier Sony headphones use proprietary oh, yeah. um, charging. And you're just like, why on earth? That's why I say these aren't made for... Look, even the way that... Even their pictures, the fact that they used the the real fashion element and it was like done in a fashion style. Yeah. In the way that, you know, like it was much more like I'm, I'm showing off models with this versus the usability makes this clear that this was designed with not as an audio first product. And don't get me wrong. I think they will get probably way better and things will get fixed over a period of time and this will change over a period of time. And think about the original AirPods. Yeah, it's very much a first gen product, but Apple had no excuse to not get this right. Like, it's not like there isn't an ecosystem of existing products that kick ass. I also have the Shure 50, whatever they're called, uh, that are one of my best, my favorite best sounding true wireless noise canceling headphones. They're also not very travel friendly because they don't fold up, but they are very, very high quality and they don't cost, they cost less than the AirPods Maxes. So, it's like if you want, if you're not as interested in travel and you're more interested in sound, the Shures are definitely what I would pick. But again, they beat the AirPods in every way. Sound, ANC is probably a little less than the, the Sony's and the Apple's, but still very good. And then you get, you know, great battery life and USB C. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, to me, the Maxes, the AirPod Maxes, feel like an Apple Pro product because they're so well-made and so high-end. So if it's a Pro product like an iPad Pro, why don't you put USB-C on there? Like, no, 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 wait, it gets better, Nurav. This is this is the biggest insult. So not only does it have lightning on there, the cord that ships in the box is lightning to USB-C. Oh, my God. So it's like... Your assumption that you made was, well, it's because, you know, they're talking to people who are iPhone users and airpods users and they want to get them up market got it well then why do you put a2 lightning in there because c2 lightning who's using c2 lightning right now look i mean i think i think a year and a half two years from now i and i I, this is where i do give apple as a whole and i've always given them credit for this a year and a half two years from now half the changes that have been made that we that we can that we, we we take the mick out of them for is the best way to put it. Half of those will at least make sense. It'll be like, oh, I can see how this all led to this. The problem is, I'm sure they've got a picture at the end, but they haven't quite figured out how do we want to, you know, it's really hard, regardless of who you are, to integrate every element of this to go, okay, we are going to change from A to C across the whole company, but it's going to make sense in all of our different product ranges at the exact same time. You know what I mean? And I think, I I reckon they, yeah. I mean, there's clearly a lot of mistakes and clearly they'll fix this. What was it? The first, actually the first XM, first Sony XMs were micro USB, not USB. Yeah, no, I know. So there is always going to be that. But I agree with you. Like this is definitely first gen, definitely a interesting product. I'm a bit like, I wish they would, what I really want them to see them do is to go, let's bring out 10 colors of the AirPods Max. Yeah. What we need is a product that sits below the AirPods Max that is a headphone product that is maybe plastic or really nicely anodized, partially plastic, that has all the funky colors to remind people of iPods, you know, back in the day. Costs like 
about the same as the Sony's, right? So you're really competing with the meat and you can deliver the same experience, but just slightly lesser quality materials. Put your SBC on them, you know, and maybe MagSafe. Why don't you put MagSafe on them? Let MagSafe puck charges the headphones. Done deal. You put a puck in the box like you do with the iPhone and you're done. You know, not, not the iPhone. They don't do that with the iPhone. But you know what I'm saying? Like you do with the watch. And that's it. Like you're done. Like why, why, and why does it have to be this, you know, Johnny Ive special thing when Johnny Ive isn't even there anymore? You know what I'm saying? Like this totally feels like it should be narrated by Johnny Ive, you know, but it's not because he's not <laughs> yeah. there. But it feels to me like this is a product he made five years ago, and they finally conceptualized it to a product today. Oh, you know? 100%. But also, I just had a random thought, and this is I only want to spend 30 seconds on this to get your thoughts quickly, yeah? Yeah. So Apple just removed the charging brick. If their next move is to remove the charging ports, yeah? Yeah. Are they? going to include a MagSafe charger in the box or are they going to go down the route of well yeah if you you know you mean you you know okay for the first app iPhone launch they'll give away they'll include a MagSafe charger in the box but then subsequent ones they'll be yeah, like yeah I think that's what's going to happen no you have a MagSafe you have a MagSafe otherwise here it's 30 not 30 dollars or they'll go here's it's 10 so here's what I think is going to happen do you know that right now there are two MagSafe pucks right there's the cheap plastic yeah. one and the metal one right so I think that's going to continue so I think that next year the 13 is going to lose the support and get the puck and the Macs are going to get the puck in some way or maybe a different puck like uh, the watch has a different puck maybe there's three diameters right and Ideally, they're all backwards. So maybe the, the new puck for next year for the 13, the middle part can charge the Apple Watch somehow, you know, has a little yeah. concave, convex thing. And then the bigger the bigger area charges the phone. And then maybe the MacBook one is even bigger or something. I don't know. But the point is, I'm on board with this MagSafe wireless charging idea, magnetic connection, if it can go to 30 watts on, at least on the Macs, because 30 watt is what the MacBook Air M1 uses right now. So that's fine by me. Of course, the Macs still need the connectors. You need options. But for the phones, we don't need the connectors. But at that point, the headphones don't need the connectors, right? Like, so I actually think that it's interesting to me that it's Qi wireless charging with magnets, right? MagSafe. Yet, yeah. right now, if you put your AirPods case on that's wireless charging on the MagSafe connector, does it charge? I don't have it in front of me, but I don't think it I mean, does. it doesn't have magnets to hold it in place, but theoretically it should charge because it's Qi, right? Well, so it, other phones charge. It, it, they're not very good at doing it, but they do charge. Yeah. Like, they, they do charge off it. So, last thing. Do you think we'll see uh, a MagSafe to MagSafe? Like, how do you mean? So, I'm, I'm wondering... Or, okay, let me rephrase that. If they bring MagSafe to Max and uh -huh. remove charging from, the remove, com completely remove the charging port from the phones, how are the, you know, it would be very interesting to think about how so are So reverse. So I think that's why I think they're also going to put it on the Macs because you'll be able to clunk your iPhone right on your Mac, clunk. Reverse charging. And then it'll wirelessly charge it. It'll be reverse wireless charging. Yeah. Perfect. That's the, oh, you should buy both an iPhone and a Mac. That is partially why my gut feeling about the Mac safe on the Mac is that it's going to be, it's going to be a weird thing where it's like the same puck but more power going through it with a set it's going to be a little complicated because you won't be able to use the same puck right like but 
whatever, they'll make it work. What I think is going to happen, that they're eventually going to deprecate the current puck, like the low wattage puck, and every phone, every puck will be the 30 watt compatible. I'm making this number up. I just want everybody to understand. 30 is kind of the holy grail, right? No, I think, I think, I think they've got, they've got 15 for wires. I, it's not unheard of for them to push the boundary, go to 30 and go, this is our limit. And still at least like every phone, all their phones and stuff at 30 are fine. The Macs, make sure they keep a USB-C because you can always then go, well, if you want, you know, if you're trying to power a couple of big displays and stuff and you need to get something, you need way more like active power or you need a faster charge on your computer because you're in a rush, you're in a trade show, whatever, you use USB-C. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Let's switch over to the news items and the rumors and leaks. I want to start with the first one, which is a major bomb that Ron Amadio at Ars Technica dropped. So I, I link directly to Ron's story on Ars Technica. You'll see a lot of the other news links that in the show notes will be XDA links, obviously, in honor of my guest. But for this, I had to link directly to Ron because Ron was basically the brutal Ron he always is, but for a justifiable reason. Uh, Harmony OS turns out, which is Huawei's alternative to Android, which Huawei has always kind of implied is its own OS developed from scratch. Turns out it's basically just a fork of Android 10. And the hoops you have to jump through as a developer to get access to it are unheard of. I mean, developers love to try stuff out. And the less barriers you put in their way to let them try things is really what you want, right? So Android, you just go to Google's website, you download the SDK. Apple, you do the same. You have to create an account, but whatever, it's free. It's only when you want to like publish apps that you have to pay for Apple, blah, blah, blah. But like this, apparently you have to like give your, your passport and like a credit card and like a whole bunch of stuff that's gonna go God knows where in China to get access, but he went through all that just to see what it was like. And then he, you know, did some digging and it's just freaking Android 10. Like, wow. Ron did what Ron Amadeo does best. Yeah. So what's, what's your initial thought on that? Like, what's your reaction to that? I mean, we all have to ask this question. Did we really expect anything different? I did not. I'll be honest. I will tell you that I'm not shocked by this. And bluntly, Huawei did the right bloody thing. Yes, absolutely. So let me tell you why. There's no point building their own operating system. They're never going to survive. They'll never be able to put enough money behind it to survive. Well, to, to make it big. Yeah. And all of those, all of that effort becomes 100% wasted if Harmony OS users can't be updated to Android at any point in the future, just in case. Well, not just that, but app compatibility, right? Yeah, if they go spend a hundred billion on building Harmony OS into the next big platform, which you know, at a hundred billion dollars, they've got, I'm sure they could fund it and or find the funding. And to be fair, that's a that's a sizable war chest to go after anybody. Yeah, yeah, that's big money. And they put it on half a million. Uh, so say they put it on, I don't know, 50 million phones this year. I'm just giving you random numbers. At the end of the year, if, if they're suddenly allowed to do business with Android and, and run, uh, run Android and things go back to some form of normality where it's like, this has been figured out. 
they absolutely want to make sure that they can that you know what i mean that they can actually just that 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 path is there similarly the the best things that ron wrote in that article are there is nothing wrong with what Huawei's doing. No. Just be bloody honest about no, it. No, exactly. There's nothing wrong. And to me, before you even go into what could happen in the future, how are they going to develop apps for a completely new ecosystem and operating system written from scratch if you had spent that kind of money? Like, the developers are not going to try to learn a new thing. You know, it's very clear right now, you either learn to code for iOS or you co learn to code for Android. 100%. And so if you know how to make an APK right now, it'll work on freaking Harmony OS. And that's the answer we needed. That's what we want. That makes sense, right? Especially if they're spending all this time on HMS and on their own app gallery, app store, and luring all these developers in India and in China and other parts of uh, Southeast Asia to, to like get them on board. These people are not going to want to spend all that time and energy so that when Huawei switches OSs, all of that goes away and is moot, right? So I think my next question to you is, we've established that it's a fork of Android. We established that it's not a bad thing, that they should just have been honest about it. But why not just call this EMUI? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they already have a <laughs> fork of Android that doesn't run... Google, right? I'm a hundred percent. This they should just use EMUI. This EMU. The thing about all of these. Okay, I'm gonna go slightly off tangent, but this is completely relevant. You know what? Samsung should Samsung should never use the touch, the Tizen OS branding again. I agree. They should call. They should just say it's not about. Look, if you, if you look at the name One UI, EMUI, or any any of the others, I none of them come to mind right now. All of them are building a set of experiences. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what, from a branding perspective, they should never reference what comes beneath that. Correct. It's just a brand, right? It's just a brand. You know that if you buy something on Huawei, if you buy something off Huawei, it's going to run on it's going to run EMUI, the platform that you are used to. Done. It doesn't matter that it's based on Android, based on Harmony OS, based on this, because think about the way Apple works as well. It doesn't matter what the base code is. It doesn't really matter any of that. This runs iOS. This runs this. This runs this. This runs this. That level of branding is all you need. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying, like, why not? the next version of Android for their Mate and P-series flagships, Android 12, basically, for Huawei phones. Why not yep. just call that Harmony OS and you're done? Like, maybe that's actually what they're going to do. Like, yeah, I think that's what they will end up doing. The fact doing. that this is Android 10 forked, maybe the next version will be Android 12 forked. And look, it's just funny to me how, like, I've noticed this with my interactions with Huawei PR folks. They're super twitchy about this whole Harmony OS thing. And I'm like, oh, stop being a oh, bunch yes. of twitchy. Like, get your sh together and, like, give us something within the limitations that you have right now, which suck. We are 100% on board. This shouldn't be the way it is. But just stop pussyfooting around this stuff. What they need to do is come out and... Instead of being, like you said, pussyfooting around it, being bullish, 
is all they ever are about this. Yeah, I love the, I love the guys who do Huawei PR. They're, I've known them for Me years. Me too. You know, they're, they're fun. They're wonderful. But you need to be willing to turn around and go. You know what? Yeah, we got some issues. Here's the issues. Here's our problems. Here's what we've done. Here's how it's going to work. Thank wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. I think it's unfortunately out of their control. I think it's coming from high up, where high up is not clear on the messaging they want. That that's a problem that I we've all been to China with lots of companies, and you see that honestly a lot in China, where what the messaging that is needed for local markets isn't necessarily being super translated. Yeah. To, to what you know from the from the up from the top down. There, there's there's definitely disjointed. My I want a tangent for a second because I really am interested in your thoughts on something. They obviously sold Honor. Honor is now able to go run Google Apps and services. Yeah, yeah we talked about that on last show. I, I'm hoping it happens. So what are you hoping that they'll also sell the P and the Mate? We talked about this last week. In the same way as last week, we said that Honor originally was a rumor and then it became real. I think the P and Mate series is a rumor that's going to become real. Yes. And these weird Chinese investors in air quotes, we're not sure who they are. They're exactly basically a bunch of Huawei people in the end, I think. Like, like we don't have any visibility on that. I'm not pointing <laughs> fingers. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I know enough about how China works that I understand that... They're obfuscating the truth is the best way to put it's it. It's totally just a way to get around the restrictions from the US government that affect Huawei only right now. And smart, very well done. So, you know, the US is just forcing a Chinese company to break up bits of its business, which yeah, is exactly it's basically antitrust. Yeah, it's the same as, you know, AWS separating yes. from Amazon or or, you know, WhatsApp separating from Facebook. It's the same deal. But we have a few little topics. I want to rapid fire through them really quick. Get your kind of like 10 second thought on them. Huawei Mate X2 foldable coming soon on February 22nd. So what do you what do you make of this? It's going to be interesting. I have the Mate X. Right. And the Mate X. I have the Mate XS, actually. I, it's a f really good device in its, within its limitations. The reason I hope they sell, they, they end up selling that unit was, and I brought it up specifically as a kind of a tangent into this. I want to see them, you know, just because the Mate's been inward folding, uh, sorry, outward folding before. Yeah, so this is inward folding. Yeah. Exactly. This is a change. And I want to see them do that, but running a Google Apps. Like, imagine running all of that and, and really being able to compete against Samsung who make, you know, who do this. And the reason I want to do that is it will push foldable devices forward. Yeah. Because the reason cameras are as good as they are now, I remember since 2000, we're talking since the P9. halfway through previous, yeah, the pre previous decade. Yeah. Huawei pushed the cameras in smartphones way more forward than people were at the time. Exactly. We need Huawei around for to amplify innovation. They are one of the innovators, like Apple, like Samsung, like BBK Group. You know, speaking of BBK Group, we have seen more rumors and leaks about the Oppo X3 Pro, which is going to be their flagship this year. And this is a story on XDA I'll link to in the show notes. Basically, more information about the fact that one of the cameras has a light ring around it. Brilliant idea. Yeah, I think I was a big fan of the X2 Pro last year, so I'm really looking forward to this one. 
this camera system looks bonkers and I'm always on board when the camera system is bonkers. So <laughs> what's your take? Well, look, I think the BBK group and often Oppo is they're trying to innovate. They're trying to make phones that people that are definitely not designed for us in, in the US, but could eventually be. This is so much designed for Asian markets, but that's not a bad thing because this level of innovation is bringing something different to the market at the same time. The amount of people I know who live in Japan, live in Asia and the Far East, and, and they're like, okay, they'll carry a ring light. It's really popular there. And if yeah. all of a sudden you can get this on your phone, but the key thing being that the ring light doesn't suddenly call this massive flood flash kind of thing mm -hmm. effect where it washes out the actual camera center. Mm -hmm. If they can get rid of that, like what I would have loved to see, and this is maybe we'll see another phone is instead of a ring light around the bloody camera sensor around one lens, make this around the entire camera pod. square yeah. camera module. Yeah. Any camera can trigger it. And all of a sudden you've got something that's really worth it. Yeah. And so this looks like it's just for the macro. There's a three megapixel macro. And you know who did this first? Moto with the Moto One 5G, which was sold in the US in the fall, which is a $400 5G phone mid-ranger. So it's interesting to me that this is now on a flagship. But look, speaking of cameras and updates and updated flagships, Sony's Xperia One 3 uh, leaked. That's the Mark III version of the Xperia 1. And it's exactly what we expect. It looks and feels pretty much the same. Has a Snapdragon 888, of course, and instead of a 3X optical telephoto now has a folded lens of some kind, which is probably going to be a 5X or 10X. And so it's interesting how starting with the Xperia 1 and then the 5 and then the, the 1 Mark II and then the 5 Mark II and now the 1 Mark III. Sony is really starting to find their beat again in imaging on their phones, considering they make most of the good phone sensors. That's kind of what I was hoping would happen. And having used these phones, I like them. I think they do a good job. They're very niche because they're the like the alpha user interface kind of vibe that they have. But I'm I'm on board. Like I love the Xperia phones for the last couple of years and I want to see more. So I'm happy about this. You? Um, I mean, look, Yes, no, there's a lot I like about Sony phones. I still think they there's a they, they need to make some tweaks is the best way to put it. And yeah. it's funny that they make all the sensors and still can't make good use their their own sensors that create all of the incredible photos made by on most phones, and Sony doesn't know how to make the most of them. But what is interesting, and part of this rumor is that 4K display, 6.5 inches. I just had a thought. When I look at the design of that phone, do you know what it reminds me of as being perfect for? And this is where Sony should 1 million percent go. What is that? What do all videographers who have Sony cameras have? Apart from the A7S III, which has the tilting display, you have this secondary, maybe 10 inches, 7 inches 4K monitor. But we talked about that last week with the Xperia Pro. The Xperia Pro is an Xperia 1 Mark II with a plastic shell that's much more strong and with millimeter wave 5g and an hdmi input so you can use the 4k display 60 hertz hdr it was actually announced alongside the xperia 1 mark ii last year and we thought that phone had just disappeared somehow and they finally released it and all the big youtube creators reviewed it like michael fisher and stuff so it's funny you thought of that but they've done it there's no evolution on the display here. This is the same, unless they refresh higher than 60 hertz, which was the problem with that display because it didn't have 90 hertz. 
This is the same 4K display we had on the Xperia 1 and Xperia 1 Mark II, and now the Xperia Pro, which is this, you know, professional HDMI input monitor. The Pro's probably the only Sony... I, I did remember reading certain things about the Pro, but again, my philosophy for the last couple of years, and this is sad to say, has just been, oh, it's from Sony. I really just don't care. <laughs> I, I stopped caring about uh sony phones unfortunately because they've just not been great i started caring again when they started giving us ois on their phones because that was the most weirdest thing until the xperia one the first xperia one the mark one previous to that they had all these really great sensors they put as you said they were putting their own sensors and really not leveraging them and they also but most importantly they weren't putting ois on their phones for whatever reason so with the Xperia 1 and then the 5 and then the 1 Mark II and the 5 Mark II, all of that's been fixed. They put the best they could in terms of hardware. And then in software, I think they've done some good stuff. It's much better than it used to be. The problem is that it's very niche because they're still treating these as cameras, not as phones. You know what I'm saying? Like they ah, want... Ah, got you. The experience is more like a camera. And so it's very niche because of that. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if the Xperia 1 Mark III, this phone that's leaking, will hopefully, you know, be usable by more mainstream people alongside those of us who really want the camera experience. So yeah, the last phone for today is the Zeti Axon 30 Pro. And the reason I put it in there, it was teased by uh, Zeti. They just like released the Zeti Axon 20 Pro, like back at the end of 2020. And that was the first phone with a commercially sold with an under display front facing camera like selfie cam. So this is supposedly the evolution of that. Hopefully it's much better than the first gen, which had a really crappy selfie cam under the display. Yeah, it's okay. The thing about Z ZTE is they definitely make good phones. They make good phones for people. You know, there, there are definitely questionable decisions like some of their software, some of the UI is just like, hey, why, why kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But by them going after this flagship, eventually they'll bring it to some of the lower price phones and exactly. they still make, here's the key thing, they still make some devices for, uh, as an ODM for carriers around the world and yep. things like that. And all of a sudden, if some of that technology becomes cheap enough, because remember, certain carrier phones are $500. Yeah. This can be something that, go that can a lot more people can look to and expect and therefore this has the ability to um you know whatever technology they build has the ability to go mainstream because if carriers can start doing it if that if that experience is there for those traditionally lower cost devices it it changes what's expected at the flagship level as well yeah of course, it's getting snapdragon 888, but here's the other big news about this phone, which I think is interesting. It's that this is supposed to be the first phone with Samsung's new 200 megapixel isocell sensor. So, you know, again, megapixels are not the story. Binning is a big deal. The way you do RGB or RYYB and the way you do like multi-pixel autofocus, all that comes into play. But I am excited seeing what we've seen from Samsung's 108 megapixel sensor so far to see what could be done going even one more level, maybe doing 16 pixel binning instead of nine, which is what uh, Samsung's doing, or four, which is what most 48 and 64 megapixel sensors are doing. So look, we don't know. We'll see. 
this is probably going to be a Chinese phone for now, so I don't get your hopes it's up. It's still going to be interesting. Exactly. The last bit of news before we wrap up, like it's a big, exciting piece of news, I think, but not really a, something that affects phones, I think, too much. It's more, we're looking more at modems and hotspots and laptops and tablets with 5G. MediaTek has announced its M80 5G modem and no big deal. They have 5G modems. They've had their 5G chips, even SOCs for smartphones. But all of them so far have been sub six. This is the first millimeter wave 5G chip from MediaTek. So kudos, congratulations, MediaTek. Rah, rah, rah. I'm not trying to be facetious. I really feel strongly that this is a step in the right direction. I'm a big fan of what they're doing. So I'm happy to see this. 100%. Yeah. We all know the guys at MediaTek really well. It's you know, they're a nice but they've it's nice to see like they power enough devices that them having an in an integrated 5G modem with millimeter wave, hey, that means a whole bunch of other devices are big are gonna suddenly get millimeter wave. Yeah, exactly. Because and imagine, like you say, imagine this in a laptop where you're in a coffee shop that is that has access that is just next to a millimeter wave uh, antenna. There's oh wow, you've got some seriously fast internet. Yeah, no, I think this is good news, and it's also me puts finally puts MediaTek in the game alongside Qualcomm for millimeter wave, which is good. We have to wrap up, unfortunately. Narav, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on social, and of course, uh, pimp the XDA goodness for us? Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter at Nirav. That's N-I-R-A-V-E. Instagram, Nirav G. Look, I'm over on XDA. So xda-developers.com with twitter.com forward slash XDA developers as well. And generally type in the Nirav on most social platforms and you'll find me there is the best way to look at it. Yeah, you should all follow Nirav. So folks, you all know where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on the Twitters and the Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character Tankerl, but drop the vowels. If you want to discuss this podcast, go to Twitter, talk to me and Narav. If you want to look at pretty pictures taken with phones that I'm reviewing or pictures of the phones I'm reviewing, go to Instagram. I mean, there's more than just those pictures there, but check that out. And then there's a YouTube channel. Actually, there's a couple of YouTube channels that go along with the show. If you want to see some visuals to go along with this audio, there's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. That's where you'll find most of the mobile specific stuff like phones, uh, headphones, uh, earbuds, that kind of stuff. Mostly unboxing, some reviews, some hands-ons. We also have a new channel my producer and I are trying to ramp up for. So please subscribe. It's youtube.com slash mobile tech more. That's where you will see more smart home and like accessory to your mobile life, basically stuff around the house and beyond and uh yeah you know subscribe to the channels join us on twitter and instagram and more importantly the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com so you should subscribe we're also on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, pocket cast spotify pretty much everywhere you'll find good podcasts you'll find the show so please subscribe tell your friends all that good stuff and if you have the opportunity to review the show or rate the show in your podcast app please do so it helps people with discovery it's pretty awesome if you can there's also a donate link in the show notes it's a paypal link it's pretty straightforward if you want to help me do this show on a weekly basis and continue please consider a donation that would really help and uh, finally i want to thank our sponsor audible audible has been with us since the very early days of the show and they're pretty awesome and they have a deal for you and for 
you know, for us because it supports the podcast. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is the link. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. It's also in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast and also support Audible, please consider clicking through. You get a 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end and you get to help out the podcast, help out Audible. Whether you stay or not, that's a great opportunity for everyone. So if you don't know about Audible yet, they are the premier number one most awesome audiobook platforms on the planet. So if you want to listen to books instead of read them, if you love books, but maybe you're driving a delivery van all day and you need to pay attention to the road, so you want to listen to something, or you're on a road trip, or your eyes are tired, which happens to me a lot, and you like books, Audible's got you covered. They've got a ton of selection. They've got a lot of books read by the authors. A lot of it is this kind of epic stuff that goes on for multiple hours. So if you're in there to that kind of episodic thing, Audible's got you covered. Check out Audible. They're awesome. We're awesome. They help us. You help us. It is fantastic. And so, folks, uh, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Check it out. And finally, Narav, thanks so much for being on the show again. Thank you for having me. It is always, always, always a pleasure and a great conversation. Indeed. We'll have you on again at some point in the future. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, of course, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.